Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Welcome to the LawPod. Uh, my name is Shad Maruna, uh, and, and this is the criminology series of the QUB LawPod. Uh, I'm, I'm a professor here at QUB. I'm, I'm actually a, a professor in the School of Social Sciences, Education, and Social Work, uh, uh, formerly a pre- professor here in, in the School of Law. Delighted to be here. This is a, um, a, a real treat. It's also one of my first podcasting experiences, so apologies up front. Uh, uh, but I'm, I'm, um, I'm delighted, especially, to have a, a, an old friend here in the studio with me. And we are in a proper studio, by the way, here in the uh, school, school of Law. They have all the uh, great kit and, and um, very impressive uh, set of microphones here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting across from Professor Fergus McNeil from the uh, University of Glasgow, a, a colleague and, and friend who am I known for maybe 12, 15 years now? And, and, and for, for our sins, we have worked together um, on, on quite a number of projects. Um, I, I guess I, I've probably in, been involved in about a, a tenth or a, or a fifth of, of Fergus's many, many, many projects. And, and, and um, it, we've got him here today uh, to do an examination of a PhD student. He's also going to do a workshop for our school in, in, in social sciences. Um, but uh, we thought we'd also get him here on, on the podcast. Um, and there's so many things I could talk to Fergus about um, if um if you're not aware of them, you, you, you've got a, a website, Fergus, that you could plug here uh, abroad, FergusMcNeil.com or anything. <laughs> Nothing quite like that, but you can find me on the University of Glasgow website. I'm in the School of Social and Political Sciences there. Of course you are. Yeah, so, so. And of course, I should mention the Scottish Centre for Crime and Justice Research, which is my main home. Paying the bills, absolutely. Yeah. So, so uh, Fergus is is involved in in so many interesting projects. Um, uh, a, th- a thing called Vox Liminis. Uh, tell us ten seconds on Vox, maybe. So that's a third sector organisation I work with, which uh, aims to bring creative practice to uh, sparking conversations about criminal justice and its reform. And it's a key partner in uh, Distant Voices project, distantvoices.org.uk which is worth a look, and uh, that's that's my main ongoing project. Well, one of your main ongoing... I mean, he's, uh, Fergus also would be known um, internationally for his work on mass supervision, and, and he has a brand new book that, that we could be plugging. We won't we won't plug, but if we were to plug the book, what, what's the book called, Fergus? It's called Pervasive Punishment, Making Sense of Mass Supervision, and that was published by Emerald back in November. Indeed, and, and, and getting all sorts of attention and, and, and is a, a fantastic uh, contribution uh, to, 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 to the research on, on probation, uh, parole, supervision, and, and, and the, the, the sort of hidden growth uh, um, internationally in that, in that regard. But we're not going to talk about any of those things today. We're going to talk, um, since this is a, a Queen's Law Pod, we're going to talk about a project uh, that Fergus and I started way back, maybe 2013. 
2015? Actually, it was earlier. I think we started it in 2010, 2011. Good Lord, uh, the time, the time. Where does it go? What's yeah. more frightening is that we officially finished it in 2012. Okay, okay. Uh, but we're still kind of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know how these things go. Yes, these, these, these projects are never quite uh, end. And, and, and maybe to a, uh, maybe a, a not, a, not the worst thing in the world. You know, this is a kind of a, a work of a lifetime. But, but um, um, th- th- uh, well, I'm going to have Fergus tell us about it. it this was because it was his brainchild, really, um, uh, and, and, and I uh, um, will take no credit for 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 this this idea. I, I was doing desistance research uh, for a long time before Fergus was. I, I I can say, in fact, Fergus at this point hadn't done any desistance research or, or, or a whole lot. Um, but but Fergus, um, I should say, what what desistance is? Desistance from crime is is the study uh, of how people. Um, for, for forever, criminologists have studied how people get involved in criminal behavior. Desistance is the, the flip side of that. How do people get out of criminal behavior once they get into habitual patterns of, of, of criminality? How do they break free of, of that? How do they go straight, as as they, it would have been called many a year ago, and now is no longer politically correct? But but what is that that the process? Now we call that desistance from crime. So this is something I had studied. Um, for at least 15 years uh, or, or, or more by the time um, um, Fergus approached me about this project. But but Fergus has had a vision, uh, still still has a vision of how that research um, could impact practice, could change the way we think about uh, probation, prisons, uh, the, the criminal justice practice. And, and, and he uh, applied uh, to the ESRC, the Economic Social Research Council, and, and, and Shout out to them for, for funding this for, for um, what, what he called a, a desistance knowledge exchange project. Uh, what, what's uh, a knowledge exchange and what's, what's the, the, which became called DESKI? Uh, what's DESKI all about, Fergus? Okay, so there were four collaborators, you and me and uh, Steve Farrell, who was then at the University of Sheffield, now in, now in Derby, and Claire Lightowler, who actually was was a key influence in helping me understand what knowledge exchange was about. She worked at that, uh, just before we did this project together, she was working in the Scottish Centre, uh, but by this time she'd moved on to something called the Institute for Research and Innovation in Social Services in Scotland, IRIS. Um, and Claire was a, was a specialist, still is a specialist, in um, bringing together different forms of knowledge to engage with complex social problems, social policy problems, social work practice problems. Um, and that expertise had particular value for me at that time because you and I, Shad, and Steve, had been putting a lot of rubber on the road, responding to requests for inputs on desistance research particularly at that time in the context of English probation. Mm-hmm. So there were lots of training days, lots of conferences, a lot of excitement about this uh, body of evidence, which although in some respects it wasn't new, um, it was being brought to practice uh, interest uh, and engagement with practice really for the first time around the early 2000s, so the, the latter half of that first decade. I'd published a paper in 2006 called The Resistance Paradigm, mm-hmm. which got a bit of traction. Um, and invitations came on the back of that. And we were all getting a bit tired of showing up, sprinkling the magic fairy dust of academic knowledge and then departing the scene um, and waiting for magic effects. And Claire, in my kind of conversations with her, had 
long since persuaded me that that was not the way to go about serious engagement with um, policy practice and, and with other publics and that really we need a more respectful kind of sustained engagement uh, nested in a set of relationships with policymakers, practitioners and others crucially in this case people with lived experience of, of desistance and so we got thinking, uh, the four of us, we got thinking about, well, how will we do that? Uh, how will we do that in a way that really engages people and sustains their interest and brings out their knowledge and isn't too academic-centric? So we struck on the idea of making a film, a documentary film, about desistance from crime. And we'll maybe say a bit more about that in a moment. Um, that was one strand of the project. A second strand was to run a series of workshops um, where the film was the kind of stimulus material for a dialogue between all those constituencies, all those forms of knowledge. And those were run in various places over the course of two days, separated by a few months. So we met for one day, did a certain amount of deliberation and dialogue. Then we went away and reflected, and then we came back a couple of months later and, and, and finished it off. And out of the workshops, we developed a set of provocative propositions for criminal justice reform. Um, but we also, the third strand was a blog called Discovering Desistance, uh, which became very lively with lots of contributions from people with lived experience, from academics, from practitioners, from postgraduate researchers, um, most recently uh, from people serving time in prison, reflecting on and thinking about desistance, both in that context and in preparation for release. Um, and through those three forms of activity, the filmmaking, the blog, uh, and the workshops, we were really just trying to figure out together what to do about this body of evidence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As you say, the, the, the idea at the beginning was to, to save ourselves some work. Uh, they, we, we were feeling uh, uh, exhausted in, in, in the late uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, I, I, it didn't quite work out that way. We ended up working uh, uh, twice as hard, maybe three times as hard. Uh, that that uh, If all that Fergus described sounded like a lot, uh, it, you, you should have been there at the time it was it was an enormous undertaking all of this it felt like desky became our lives for for a, a good few of those years the the uh, uh the workshops were, were 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 fantastic the 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 feedback the the energy but then it was about um trying to do something w w with all of that and 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 that became uh its own kind of never-ending the the you know um there was, there was a set number of workshops that we had funded through, through the grant but of course these begat other workshops so we had prisons approaching us wanting us to bring the roadshow in, in, into prisons uh, certainly lots and lots of probation trusts uh, doing doing the same and we ended up uh, probably giving more talks than, than, than we had before but in a different form we had a new way of delivering uh, that, that wasn't just the usual powerpoints and 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 here we go uh, 15 minutes of, of droning on and then then we'll, we'll sit down it, it became a much more uh, interactive journey and 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 uh, and and some some highlights for for you Fergus what were some of the the, the best things that came out of that, that experience well I mean you're right it was it was uh, ironic I guess that it produced even more travel <laughs> and even more um, demands to engage but for me the, the key highlight was that the terms of the engagement changed and the mm -hmm. quality of the engagement changed I think that was partly driven by the fact that the film connected with people and brought experience 
out of them in a way that conventional forms of academic dissemination rarely do. So yeah. it set up the project as a dialogical project instead of us droning on, as you say, in, in a conventional didactic monologue and then having a Q&A. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it also took us all over the world in the end. The workshops that were funded were in Sheffield, London, Belfast and Glasgow. But I remember doing workshops in Adelaide, in mm-hmm. Sydney, in um, Boston, uh, lots of places all, yeah. all around yeah. Europe as well <laughs> Singapore um, and the, the common thread I think or, or where, where this worked at its best was when we had a room full of people who all brought something different yeah. um, I, I, one highlight for me was in a Glasgow workshop where uh, I was sitting around the table with the governor then governor of Berlini prison the biggest prison in Scotland who was sitting next to a 12 year old girl whose mother at that time was in prison. He was accompanied and supported by, uh, uh, I think, a, a grandparent. Um, then there was a frontline social work practitioner of 30 or 40 years experience next to them and maybe two or three others. And we were chatting about the film and um, one of the key themes in the film, which people really related to and engaged with, was hope. Uh, and hope was a, a kind of recurring motif of this project. But I remember vividly when this girl said, yeah, hope is really, really critical. It's just difficult to sustain hope when somebody keeps on letting you down. And the way that the group engaged with that comment and tried to support that young woman, um, both sort of validating her experience and being challenged by it uh, in terms of the kind of glib and easy things that we might say about our belief in people's capacity to change. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was a, a, a kind of particularly affecting and important moment for me. But there are so many uh, in, in the life of this project, it's hard to pick any out. Yeah, yeah. No, um, um, you mentioned the, the film, and I should give a shout out here to the, the film company was a, a local Belfast uh, group that, that, that uh, we ended up working with, um, uh, Login Media, and, and uh, Eamon Devlin was the, the director of, of that project. And, and did, uh, Eamon had worked for years in, in McGabry and other, other prisons, um, um, and 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 so had that that experience that he brought and and his his whole team brought uh, to 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 the process. But it, it is something about working uh, in 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 that medium uh, of film where where uh, largely the methodology uh, was, was very similar to uh, methods that, that you and I both use. We were we were interviewing um, people uh, about their experiences. We interviewed um, a, a couple of, of academics, John John Laub. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, Peggy, uh, no, not Peggy. Steve Farrell was one. Yeah. Um, um, I can't, yeah. Oh, Faye Taxman. Faye Taxman. That's, that's who yeah. I was trying to think of. Yes, yeah. Faye Taxman. Uh, so, so some some very prominent uh, academics, but we also interviewed uh, practitioners. We, we interviewed um, uh, um, individuals with lived experience uh, of all sorts of, of, of the desistance process, and it's that. You know, there uh, um, the, the the medium of the film allows, uh, um, most importantly, uh, people to engage with them as, as human beings, see, seeing, looking at their, their them in, in the face, uh, hearing them tell their stories to to the camera, uh, and, and, and very similar um, themes that, that emerge in our research, but it, it changes the, the, the nature of of, of the uh, the communication with. I think it's also significant, and and here again we should acknowledge some debts. Um, <coughs> Alan Weaver. Um, fronted no. the film yes. as our kind of narrator and uh, the interviewer in those scenarios mm-hmm. and, and we obviously 
spoke at length with Alan about the kind of questions that we wanted to explore. But I think it made a big difference that it was him, not us, asking the questions. Oh, 100%, uh, yeah. Because it wasn't an academic with an abstract interest or a, 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 a purely research-related interest exploring the experience of others. It was somebody who was speaking from lived experience himself. His book, So You Think You Know Me, is a great uh autobiography that explores these themes and also Beth Weaver uh, in the in the background she was still doing her uh, brilliant PhD at that point right. late, later published as offending and desistance um, but that that was kind of part of the background of, of what was helping to inform the work as it was running uh, both you know feeding Alan uh, material and ideas and feeding the rest of the project as well so. yeah yeah absolutely yes and then you know it became Alan's journey the the the, the film and 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 uh, many uh, um, folks rightfully uh, uh, say the, the the road from crime oh you, you mean the, the the film about Alan Weaver and and, and it was uh, although he starts the film by saying uh, this is not a story about me and 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 it's 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 not it's not a, a an autobiography uh, like like his book uh, uh, but but rather, it, it it's a story about him uh, learning about desistance and, and and going on this journey with the 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 audience, so so to speak. And 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 yes, it brings brings that journey to life on so many different levels because of Alan's experience in his life. And we meet his brother along the way. We meet we meet one of. Uh, Alan's older oldest friends uh, from from growing up, uh, who who uh, was was willing to, to work with us in the film uh, at the time was 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 living rough and 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 in uh, in, in the, the Glasgow area uh, and um, uh, is some some really tragic. Uh, um, and 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 also in incredibly moving lives uh, uh, and, and life stories uh, in, in in the film. So the, the the film I should say is still uh, available uh, for for download. Um, the the, the um, uh, we're we're winding down the blog, and, and and in a sense this is our our goodbye to to that aspect of of the project with, with this podcast. But um, the the film has always been available uh, for for free. This is it's. Not not a uh, it's not a Netflix uh, situation. This is uh, something you can find online if you go to the Discovering Desistance. Yeah, the uh, Discovering yeah. Desistance blog will, will close as a blog, but the archived website will stay available. Um, so you can either search for Discovering Desistance or specifically for the film, just search The Road from Crime um, and it. Uh, I'm sure people will find their way to it. That's right, and you can get it with English subtitles if, if you struggle with some of the, the, the Glaswegian accents. And French, and German, uh, Italian, and Finnish, I believe. So. <laughs> Finnish, how about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, so um, so so we, we, we did the film, we, we, we did the workshops, uh, we did the travel, we, we, we did um, a lot of listening, uh, a, a lot of dialogue. Um, the purpose of, of all of this was to open up uh, um, a, a new conversation with, with uh, professionals, with, with the wider society, maybe uh, ambitiously uh, around this, this, this concept of, of desistance. Um, how did we do, Fergus? Uh, you know, we, we may not be the best place to, to answer these kind of questions of self-assessment, but, but uh, uh, from your perspective uh, as, as an insider, um, without being too overly self-critical, um, um, did we do anything? Uh, did, was it a success as a project, do you think? It's a hard question to answer, not, not just obviously from because of the problem of our own sort of investment in it. Um, I think we we did a huge amount to uh, disseminate and 
enhance people's understanding of desistance. I think we may have done something slightly more important than that too, which was to bring people together and get them listening to each other. Uh, I'm not saying that that wouldn't have happened otherwise or wasn't already happening in other contexts, but I think it, uh, we energised those kinds of conversations between different kinds of knowledge uh, in, in many places eventually around the world. I think one of the key things that um, was happening around the same time was the kind of rise of user voice ideas in social work. Mm -hmm. And those were slow to come to criminal justice, mm -hmm. which is a, in itself interesting. You know, why is it that it's only really in the last 10 years that people have started to consider it legitimate and important to listen to the voices of people who uh, have been through uh, crime and punishment uh, in thinking about how to, how to reform and change uh, those practices. So I think it probably contributed to a groundswell that made it uh, necessary for policymakers and practitioners to start attending to those kinds of voices and concerns. Um, there are lots of concrete small examples of places where teams of practitioners generated concrete ideas mm -hmm. to do things differently. Mm -hmm. uh, Scotland has to be uh, leading uh, in that way, right? Yeah, yeah. no, there, there were there were places in Scotland. The one that just comes to my mind at the moment, though, was in, in Merseyside, actually, in, mm -hmm. the, in the world where we did one of the offshoot workshops, yep. and the practitioners came up with really simple ideas, like creating a film club, where people on probation and probation staff would watch movies mm -hmm. together and talk. Mm -hmm. Groundbreaking work. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But it, it kind of was. Mm -hmm. And and also, they, they introduced walking supervision, or walking dialogue. So, you know, the, rather than doing the kind of formalised office-based interview as the basis for casework, they got out on the streets and, and walked and talked, mm -hmm. as friends would. Mm -hmm. And I'm not mm -hmm. suggesting that the relationship is, is that simple. Mm -hmm. um, but those were concrete ways in which the kind of relationship between practitioners and service users changed um, and the way that they recognized each other I think uh, was altered. Um, there are more kind of uh, there are more grand examples of, of policies quoting the project or yep. quoting the this, this materials that we developed but in many respects I wouldn't want to cling too closely to those because so many of them have been subversions or uh, to put it crudely bastardizations of the of the message or, or the or of the work um, so, so using the name assistance but not really uh, changing anything or, or yeah or even you know more more broadly like the whole transforming rehabilitation agenda sure. in England yeah. and I'm not suggesting that, that was driven by this project far from it but um, <laughs> won't be that, claiming that no, certainly that. not but that um, you take a take a good idea and, and ruin it yeah. um, by uh, distorting dis distorting it and also by I, I think in the case of TR uh, not to go down a different track here but deliberately choosing the wrong terminology to obfuscate and obscure what was actually going on mm -hmm. like you couldn't call it privatising punishment so you called it transforming rehabilitation, rehabilitation yes. so uh, there are lots of ways in which um, the work that we did and the work of many other academics is is often co-opted and, and misused and it's our kind of duty to be vigilant about that and to be critical when it happens yeah. so that you know that makes me hesitate from reaching to big policy oh, yeah. Yeah. changes and uh, and actually preferring this the small examples of how human encounters mm -hmm. and relationships have been affected and, and changed um but in a, in a way i i think the the biggest well, for, for me personally, one of the most uh, 
important legacies of the project has been a transformation in my own thinking mm. about the whole subject area. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into that now or if you want to stick with the... You've teased us with us at this okay. point, Fergus. we got to hear. How has this well, changed you? I think, like all good research projects, you get to the end of it and you realise that you asked the wrong question. Um, so we started from the premise that we wanted probation practice and policy to be reshaped in line with desistance evidence because that's what we've been on the road trying to do so it was natural that we kind of tried to come up with a new way for doing that but what seemed to come out of the dialogue for me was that that was never going to be enough mm. and that uh, internal changes to criminal justice practices and even narrower than that one specific subdomain within criminal justice just couldn't cut it when the barriers to to desistance and more broadly than that to reintegration were kind of really rooted in fundamental problems of social inequality and, and social injustice. And so, you know, I, again, I don't want to be too crude, but mm. you, there's a risk with criminal justice reform that you end up polishing a turd. You need to be a bit more um, ambitious in, in, in the in the approach that you take. So, for example, one of the provocative propositions at the end was that we needed to get beyond the criminal justice system and engage and educate the public about crime, punishment, desistance and reintegration. Um, and for me, the, the question that I take out, or the, the, the unresolved question that then that provoked at the end of the project for me was, how? How are we going to do that? Um, you know, having spent so long trying to, to have creative and constructive conversations with policymakers and practitioners to realise that that was not enough and that there was this broader vista that had to be addressed was at the, mo at the same time sort of inspiring and mind-boggling mind but also terrifying. Mm -hmm. Like, how? How can, I, sure. how, how can academics and others really try to engage with very powerful cultural currents um, so that was what provoked the kind of the next Lots steps. Yeah. And, and yeah. So yeah. that I mean that actually maybe that's a, a that that there's a concrete impact that I yeah. would be really proud to claim. So um, Alison Yuri, who is the founder of Vox Luminous, attended the Glasgow-based workshops right. when she was still in a different job. Mm. Um, not very happy in the in the different job, right enough. And she had a track record as a as a social entrepreneur, as a, a generator of, of kind of new um, charitable endeavours, having uh, previously set up an organisation in Dundee called Hot Chocolate Trust, which did great work with, with marginalised young people in that city. And she'd had some contact with criminal justice through that project, um, but it was when she came to those workshops that her kind of mind was blown by the contradictions and consistencies cruelties and capriciousness of criminal justice um, and she being the kind of person that she is she's like okay what are we going to do about that mm -hmm. and from from that pub conversation famously over uh, beer and chips was born Vox Luminous as an organisation which tries to uh, exercise that kind of cultural influence by uh, creatively mediating a conversation about crime and punishment by really helping people think and feel differently about those questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that, to me, uh, that that is absolutely the product 
uh, from my side anyway of of the Desky project. Alison had lots of other tributaries that were f- that were kind of influencing her at that sure, moment, sure. Um, and there were many other people also involved in making that work. Um, and the idea is nothing hits the the heart of the, the 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 public us uh, human beings like music like the arts is is is, is that yeah I mean this is well, this is public criminology you're trying to do in in a different way yeah, yeah. we're now talking about creative criminology and about sensory mm-hmm. criminology uh, and. It was partly, again, a different strand of your work was influential because in that pub conversation I was talking about the work that you had done with Anna King over the kind of emotive or the need to reach beyond cognitive Mm -hmm. approaches to engaging people on crime and punishment issues. That kind of goes back to Durkheim for me as well. You know, the uh, crime and punishment properly evokes strong emotions. And uh, the, the usual response of criminologists is to try to um, push those emotions to the side and replace them with uh, sharp, rational, mm-hmm. evidence-based Let's stuff. Get smart, uh, yeah, 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 which absolutely. is which is important. Um, you know, uh, as Goya said, the sleep of reason produces monsters. Um, but I think you, uh, the other approach is to try to engage with those emotions, not to silence them or marginalise them, but to engage with them in a way which involves head and heart, to put it um, in a slightly cliched way. Mm. Um, and we were literally in the pub thinking, well, what what is it that engages us affectively without switching off our brains? And, you know, there was like a little ping moment where we think, well, music is, is where that happens for us. Yeah. And that's not the only form. Uh, there's lots of other, you know, the film had done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, literature, uh, theatre, uh, many of any art form inevitably, I think, does that. Uh, and so... Uh, that that's kind of what propelled me towards thinking about more creative um, methods, more creative practices, and more creative forms of uh, public engagement. I think I think it's really smart. I think yeah, I think we we have to appreciate. It. I mean, I'm I'm all for reason and rationality. I wouldn't be an an, an academic doing this work if I wasn't. But but at the same point, our subject matter uh, is justice, and and justice isn't uh, a, a logical process. Uh, you know, the justice uh, is is an emotive, uh, is is a sensual uh, um, um, idea. It's it, it's not something that that uh, can can easily be made bureaucratized and, and effective and, and, and some kind of, you know, we're not producing widgets here. So 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 I think uh, we need to get creative and, 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 and you've been at the forefront of, of some of these creative methodologies, you, you and your students, I should say, these, these sort of creative methodologies and, and creative ways of, of thinking about justice. You've done some photography work and, and things as well around yeah. probation. Yeah, so in, in the pervasive punishment book, there's a, there's a whole uh, element there in which oh, yeah, draws absolutely. on draws on visual methods, asking people uh, simply. This was part of a, a big European project, but this strand was actually led by Wendy Fitzgibbon, uh, who's now I think at the University of Leicester. And uh, we just asked people, subject to supervision, to take pictures that represented their experiences. Uh, it was the simplest idea, but the images that it produced were shocking to me because I'd been in the probation field for a long time. I'd been researching it. I'd been listening to interviews. I'd been analysing qualitative data. And there was a, a not a complete disjunction, but a significant divergence between what the images represented and what the interviews seemed to generate. And it really made me reflect on, on what was going on methodologically there. Um, and 
seriously engaging with the images and then using them as the prompts for mm. conversations produced uh, much deeper insights for me into how people experience supervision. That produced a paper in Punishment and Society which preceded the book um, Pervasive Punishment and the, the uh, we also locked the photographic method in with the songwriting approach involving Vox in taking those pictures into a, a songwriting workshop with people under supervision and with social workers and with others to kind of explore in a second creative way these experiences um, and what I've found from, from a methodological point of view is that if I'm kind of co-writing a song along, some, uh, along with somebody uh, into which we're both investing our experiences, our, our, our thinking, our feelings, um, then the, the kind of co-creation of, of the piece of art, I hesitate to call anything I make art, but the co-creation of the piece of art uh, elicits and enables a, a different kind of conversation from research research dialogues which are often um, well not often at their worst they're extractive so I'm the one with the questionnaire and you're the one with the answers mm -hmm. um, but you're not going to get anything of me mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. in this exchange it's not really an exchange in, in of that sort whereas the creative exchanges and this is why I think Alan works as a better interviewer in the film than either of you or either you or I would have it's an exchange of experiences in which uh, all of all of the humanity of the of the two protagonists is engaged, not one in a position of detachment with an abstracted intellectual interest, and one who's living it. You know, it's it the the shift in the quality of the dynamic is what produces the depth of understanding. Mm. Um, and you you don't necessarily need creative methods to to shift that dynamic. Lots of good researchers have known that forever. That's why you know ethnography is such a great approach, and why great ethnographers are so uh, differently connected with and engaged with their communities and participants in their studies. Um, but yeah, for me, it was creative methods that that kind of unlocked depth mm -hmm. uh, in exploring those kinds of experiences. The book Pervasive Punishment also uses uh, some some fiction writing. You 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 uh, start the book and then and, and each chapter with some fiction. What was the thinking there? Yeah, so that was just that, that was a kind of then a, a, another sort of step in the in the journey was that if I, I a key premise of Pervasive Punishment is that we can't debate and have a meaningful dialogue about supervision because we can't imagine it. We literally can't imagine it. There's nothing. Uh, nothing happens in our brains when when we ask people to visualize a probation right, right. experience. If you say prison, immediately a building appears, a cell appears, a dining hall appears, the Shawshank Redemption appears. Yeah. There's all there's something to hang your your imagination on, but probation is just a vacuum. Yeah. In um, fact, uh, when when uh, newspapers, websites run a story about probation, they often use as a photograph a photograph of prison, uh, which boggles the mind for for those of us who do community based work. But but that's the only visual they, they they've got on stock. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of the story was, um, well, how can I populate? How can I how can I provoke mm. an, an imagining of what this is? In fact, it was it was my wife um, Morag who kind of persuaded me to write it because I, I, right at the start of the fellowship to write the book I'd said to her are you going to read this book because she, she never <laughs> Brilliant does question, yeah. and she said are you going to make it interesting mm -hmm. and, and I was like well how what, what would make it interesting to you because she, she's not a criminologist she's a teacher um, 
And she said, well, I like, I like stories. I like human stories. Um, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And I went off to the British Criminology Conference and on the train home, long, slow train home, I, I, I wrote an episode, the first episode, pretty much as it appears in the book, and gave it to her when I got back. And she's, she read it and was, yeah, I want to know what happens mm. to this guy. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I like the fact that there are characters here that I might start to care about. Mm. Um, and so... Uh, I was also supervising uh, a brilliant writer, Martin Cathcart Froden, who uh, just completed his doctorate in fine arts, um, which involves a, novel, a short novel about um, imprisonment and release. Uh, it doesn't yet have a, a published title, so I can't direct you to it, but um, it's fantastic. Uh, and he, uh, I had no idea why I was supervising him, because I had nothing to teach him about creative writing. I guess I brought a few references from the criminology side to, to feed his imagination. But the, the the challenge of supervising him kind of switched me on to trying to, to write in a in a fictional way. But it's very much sociological fiction. So there's there's barely a line in that story that I couldn't put references in, you know, to, to say the and then actually and there's a postscript to the book where I kind of try to explain to a certain extent the sources and the thinking behind the development of the characters and the plot. Right. Um I should also give a shout out to my colleague Joe Collinson-Scott who co-writes that postscript because she then went off with a range of collaborators and wrote an EP of songs um, mm -hmm. called System Hold which is a beautiful and brilliant uh, oral representation, sonic representation um, of some of the themes uh, that emerge from the book. Um, so, yeah, th these, these are all essentially ways of helping us to explore experiences or institutions or cultures or practices that are uh, invisible or at least remote mm -hmm. and detached from everyday experience. And I think if criminology can't make that kind of connection for people, then the, the quality of evidence that it brings is marginalized, too easily mm -hmm. marginalized mm -hmm. in favor of things that do appeal to our more sort of visceral instincts about punishment. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's why I've been sort of pushed down that that route. Um, it has been, you know, the perennial um, uh, complaint of criminology students for a hundred years. But <clears throat> we're doing all this research, and 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 when there's something in the news, as there's always something in the news, they 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 never turn to us. They never turn to criminology. They 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 turn to. Uh, um, <clears throat> The um, those who've been there, they turn to to uh, uh, things they've they've uh, seen or heard they, they, in, in films, usually CSI or or, or the like, and 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 that's uh, um, you know again that's the nature of this beast. That, that that's perfectly natural. Uh, that that um, the first thing people uh, think of with 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 uh, when when we're dealing with uh, such a, a topic as is crime and justice, isn't necessarily the the the, the Evidence and, and where's the data on, on this issue? It's it, it's a different level. So 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 I think yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right to try to engage then on that level in a sociological way. I mean, one of my favorite uh, um, professors you used to say that that you know a sociological theory is a story. You you need to tell a, a story, and it's a, it's a different kind of story than than uh, um, you know it, it's not a a, a unique story or an individual story. It's 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 a 
general story about the, the, the way these things happen, you know, almost an archetypal story, but but um, for you to, to work in and in, in, in work fiction into uh, the, your, your research isn't new in that we, we all do. That's what, what theory is, is, is working these, these sort of fictions in, 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 into our work. So, so I'm, uh, I'm, I think we're probably out of time uh, on the, uh, the podcast. We're certainly not out, out of time in terms of, of, of Fergus McNeil and, and desistance and, and where this, this, this journey is, is going to go next. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased you sat down with us here, here for, for a while this morning and uh, um, look forward to, to the next project from you, Fergus. Thanks for having me.